on a cold December night in 1993, Rose Larner left the convenience store on her way to a boyfriend's house. But she was never seen or heard from again. Rose Larner's disappearance remained a mystery until a tiny clue found years later uncovered a tragic tale of drugs, romance, and revenge. Rose Larner was the second of three children in a broken family. She was a highly intelligent but very difficult teenager. Rose Larner was an 18-year-old girl who liked to spend a lot of time out at night with her friends, away from her family, a family that, that dubbed her the vampire because they, they, they only saw her in the daytime. Rose's best friend, Bill Brown, was a boy she had known since second grade. They remained friends even after high school. First girl I ever got a kiss from. Her and uh, two other girls came down to our house and they chased me through the woods and my brothers held me down and she gave me a kiss. And uh, we were just basically friends. We had crushes on each other, but um, nothing serious and we were just kids. After high school, Rose worked at a pizza shop in her hometown of Lansing, Michigan and started dating a friend of Bill Brown's, John Ortiz Kehoe. He came on quite polite. He was a local star, rap star. I mean, everyone thought he was just it, you know. <laughs> this was John Kehoe. And um, when I first met him, I thought he was nice. I thought he was all right. Rose, John Kehoe, and Bill Brown were inseparable, spending their days and most of their nights together. For a time, Rose and John Kehoe lived together, but the relationship didn't last. Kehoe moved out, and Rose was devastated. John, at some point, decided that he, he wasn't interested in Rose and tried to break it off. Um, Rose wasn't real keen on that idea. On the night Rose disappeared, she stopped in to visit her mother, who was working at the convenience store. Rose said she was headed to the home of her friend, Keith, who lived nearby. And I asked her not to. I told her uh, I had a bad feeling about tonight and to go back and get the van, but she didn't want to do that. Rose preferred to walk that night instead of driving and did not return home. The next day, Rose Markey called her daughter's friend, Keith, who said that Rose never showed up. Rose didn't show up for work that day either. Rose ran on the wild side. She was uh, independent, uh, rebellious, uh, and it would not have been uh, out, of the, out of the realm of possibility for her to have simply left the area and gone look for another lifestyle. Rose Larner made approximately 1,500 telephone calls every month, but no one heard from her after she disappeared. And the detective that was assigned the case, that was his sign that there was something wrong there. Because um, he said that someone just doesn't break a habit like that. Rose Larner's mother still hoped for her daughter's safe return. Perhaps something in Rose's phone records would provide a clue. 
After two weeks went by with no word from Rose Larner, Lansing police began one of the most intensive searches ever undertaken in central Michigan. They dragged area rivers, coordinated search teams to look for clues in the surrounding neighborhoods, and investigated every lead. The persistent rumors, roses in so-and-so's backyard, roses in so-and-so's basement. And I'll admit, we dug up a few basements and uh, drained a few gravel pits looking for rose. Um, with nothing, came up dry every time. Police learned that Rose Lawner spoke with her ex-boyfriend, John Ortiz Kehoe, on the night she disappeared. Kehoe had an alibi for that night. He was on a date with another woman. Bill Brown was with Kehoe and his date on the night Rose disappeared and corroborated Kehoe's alibi. For the next two and a half years, police could find no trace of Rose Larner. You're simply stymied. You're stalled. That was where the police were at, at uh, that time. The state police began with a fresh look at Rose's ex-boyfriend, John Ortiz Kehoe. They quickly discovered that Kehoe and Rose Larner had an unusual relationship, one that continued even after they broke up. In one incident, Rose followed Kehoe to this fraternity house near Michigan State University. Kehoe was on a date with another woman. In a fit of anger, Rose drove a van into the side of Kehoe's truck. She was smashing her mother's van into his truck, breaking out his windows. We'd come out my parents' house and uh, she'd be hiding behind trees. Police also learned that Kehoe and Bill Brown were in business together, the drug business, and had customers all over Michigan. We as a task force put a lot of pressure on Bill Brown. I mean, we were talking to family members, we were talking to friends, we were talking to neighbors, we were talking to all kinds of people who had been approached before. Brown and Kehoe were together on the night Rose Larner disappeared. But police did not believe that Brown had told them everything about their activities that night. I knew it was going to be very hard, very, very hard for them to be able to get a case. I knew the only way would be is if people started talking. Bill Brown originally said he knew nothing about Rose Larner's disappearance. But two and a half years later, under constant police pressure, he changed his story. And it was a story so shocking, few believed him. We were hearing things that we had never heard before. It was an eye-opener. After listening to his whole story about what happened to Rose Larner, I, I literally went home and told my wife that I felt like I'd just met Satan. Uh, you know, I, I almost stopped on the way home and went into a church that I didn't belong to. Um, it's, it, was, it was the most unsettling thing that I've ever been through. And police needed science to determine whether Brown was telling the truth. After two and a half years of searching for Rose Larner, Bill Brown finally revealed what happened on the night she disappeared. Brown said that on December 7th, he unexpectedly ran into Rose Larner near the convenience store. Rose told Brown she wanted to see John Kehoe. Rose is begging me to page John, and uh, so I finally do. I page John, and she asked me to ask John to come pick her up. John says the only way he'll agree to that is if she agrees to have sex with both of us. 
Brown said Rose agreed. They drove to John Kehoe's grandparents' home because they were away on vacation. Rose changed her mind about the threesome. When she did, Brown said Kehoe murdered her and dismembered her body. Brown said they cleaned every square foot of the house, removing all of the blood, bone, and debris. Later, they drove to a cabin owned by Bill Brown's parents where they burned Rose's body. Afterwards, they spread Rose's ashes along miles of highway throughout Michigan. Brown said he didn't come forward sooner because he was afraid Kehoe would murder him as well. All I wanted to do was get away from him. I just wanted to get away from him. Um, and after that, he basically kind of kept me hostage. I mean, he wouldn't let me out of his sight. After two and a half years, police finally had the break they were hoping for, but they needed to know if Brown was telling the truth. He'd been involved in the drug scene, that he ran with this group uh, that uh, would fight. Violence was uh, a part of their world. Um, he, was, he ran with a rough crowd. Brown said Rose was murdered in the bathroom. Police sprayed the area with luminol, a chemical which can reveal trace amounts of blood even after it's been removed with water and detergent. But they found nothing. On a hallway carpet, the luminol revealed what appeared to be the imprint of a bloody bucket. But after two and a half years, there was not enough blood to perform DNA testing. Investigators feared they were at a dead end until they noticed a small spot on the wallpaper just outside the bathroom. It had the color consistent with blood and it had kind of the configuration of what you would suspect if a blood droplet was falling down a wall. The spot looked like part of the wallpaper pattern. To see if it was blood, scientists performed a phenothaline test. A wet Q-tip was rubbed over the spot. Then, phenothaline and hydrogen peroxide were applied. The Q-tip turned pink, a positive, presumptive test for the presence of blood. Of course, we didn't know whose blood it was. Keep in mind, just because we find a drop of blood, I mean, it could be the grandparents, it could be anybody's blood that, that uh, we didn't know for sure. Scientists were able to extract enough blood from the wallpaper for DNA analysis, but they had nothing to compare it to. In Rose Larner's case file, police learned that she had been involved in a sexual assault four years earlier. After the assault, a sample of her blood was taken and still existed in police custody. The DNA profile from the blood on the wallpaper matched the DNA from Rose Larner's blood sample. The odds of the blood belonging to anyone else were one in 747 million. Identifying it as Rose Larner's is, is what's remarkable. That tells us that Rose Larner was in that house at that time. That corroborates what Bill Brown told us. That was crucial. Brown also revealed that they both rinsed rags soaked with Rose's blood in the basement sump pump. Forensic scientists gathered all of the debris from the bottom of the drain. They also excavated the fire pit near Bill Brown's parents' cabin, where Rose's body had allegedly been burned. The search resembled an archaeological dig. 
My job at that site was to excavate the fire pit and collect any remains, any evidence in that fire pit that might be relevant to the case. Specifically, I was looking for evidence for human bone, human material. The fragments were analyzed with an ultraviolet light in order to determine whether they were bone. Under ultraviolet light, bone will glow. The fragments that I did end up finding were very, very small. Probably none of them were larger than the size of a pea. Um, so initially when all the dirt and debris was in there, it was very difficult to tell what we had. The bone chips were too damaged and degraded for DNA analysis, but they were analyzed to determine if they were human. Magnified 100 times, human bone is circular in structure, while animal bone seen here is more linear. The bones found in both sites were clearly human. The number of circular structures in the bones, or osteons, increases with age. There were relatively few osteons in the bone chips found in the debris. We were able to determine that the remains were clearly human, and uh, in some cases they probably represented uh, somebody who was a, a teenager or in their early 20s. The blood and the bone chips were exactly where Bill Brown said they'd be. Police were now convinced that Rose Larner had been murdered. According to Bill Brown's confession and the forensic evidence, prosecutors now knew what happened to Rose Larner on her last night alive. Shortly after visiting her mother at the convenience store, Rose ran into her childhood friend, Bill Brown. At Rose's suggestion, they picked up her ex-boyfriend, John Kehoe. Gonna go inside and grab some stuff for the night's festivities. John Kehoe bought some supplies for the evening, including a hatchet, a knife, and some lighter fluid. Brown said he was not aware of the specific items Kehoe purchased until later that night. Once at Kehoe's grandparents' home, all three took a shower together. Kehoe again tried to initiate the sexual threesome, but Rose refused. sink without warning, Kehoe strangled her. In the shower stall, Kehoe slit her throat and dismembered her body using the knife and hatchet he purchased at the store. Brown and Kehoe spent the next two days cleaning the blood, bone, and debris. A bloody bucket left the stain on the carpet found years later with the luminol. Rags soaked with blood and bone were rinsed in the basement sump pump where tiny pieces of bone were also discovered. and a blood spot on the wall was identified as Rose Larner's through DNA testing. Her body was burned 
in an outdoor fire pit. After the cremation, the ashes were dumped out of the car window as Kehoe and Brown drove back to Lansing. I did say a prayer for her right afterwards, and I'm not a religious person, but I did pray for her soul. And, uh, and at the, that, that night, night, many nights after, that's about all the thought I put into it. All the other thought was in saving my, saving my butt. The bones in the sump pump, the luminol impression of the bloody bucket, the tiny speck of blood on the wallpaper, and the bone fragments in the fire pit all confirmed Brown's story. Before police could question John Kehoe, he fled the country. After a six-month international manhunt, Kehoe was finally located. I saw him for the first time in Mexico. He was drinking a beer in a bar. Four minutes later, he's sitting in U.S. Customs hand, hands on the other side of the bridge. It was like slam, bam, and he's out of there right now. I don't think he knew what happened. At the trial, Kehoe had a ready defense. He claimed that it was Bill Brown who had murdered Rose Larner. John Kehoe was going to point the finger at him and say, well, gee, I didn't do it. I was just there, and he killed my girlfriend. He went nuts on coke and killed my girlfriend. We knew that was coming. But prosecutors argued that Bill Brown had no motive to kill Rose Larner. John Kehoe did. His motive was the problems that Rose Larner was causing for him in the days and weeks prior to her disappearance. She was embarrassing him. She uh, smashed his truck. It was typical for Rose not to be intimidated by this guy and to simply uh, get into arguments with him and, and call him names, not back down. That was Rose Larner. And, and this, I think, was uh, something new for John Kehoe. And it, it angered him. It really angered him. Although the crime occurred two and a half years earlier, Rose Larner was still able to speak to the jury through the power of forensic science. In this case, you know, I don't take the position that we didn't have a body. I think we did. We just had very small pieces of it. So, I mean, they basically gave us a body. The jury deliberated just over an hour. We the jury find the defendant, John Ortiz Kehoe, Kehoe received Michigan's maximum sentence, life in prison without possibility of parole. Rose Larner's grave is empty. All that remains of her body are the tiny bone fragments which are still in evidence. I hope John Kehoe lives a long time in prison and I, th I hope he thinks of Rosie every day that he's in prison. I feel a person like that would rather die than to be in prison the rest of his life, so I feel that that's a just punishment. But if he were to die, I hope it's brutal. Bill Brown was sentenced to one year in prison for helping cover up the murder. He is now out on parole. If I would have known what was going to take place, like I said, I wouldn't have been there. She wouldn't have been there. Never would have happened. The way I feel about it is that by convicting John Kehoe, I just saved other people's lives, other young girls' lives, because I just feel that, that it was his nature and that he enjoyed killing Rosalina and that he would do it again. <laughs>